content warning. This one's got an S word in it. But it's like in a fun, playful way that like shouldn't really offend anyone. But it's got an S word in it. And all of the Lose your voice. Kings Island is an amusement park near where I grew up, and they had an attraction called Antique Cars. No driver's license required. If your feet could reach the pedals, you could drive your family and friends around a short path in a replica Model T. You had a gas pedal that would make you go a little faster than idling, and a brake pedal that would stop you, but you'd get in trouble if the car behind you caught up, so you really couldn't stop for very long. But you had a steering wheel that actually steered the car, which is an exciting feeling for a 10-year-old until you discover with a loud metallic bang that there is a guide rail on the path which will jolt the whole vehicle back to center if you try to steer off course. Depending on the day and who was driving, my siblings and I would either attempt to show our skill by steering the whole course without touching the guide rail, or we'd pretend to be drunk, crashing into the guide rail and laughing as the whole family got mild cases of whiplash. I used to think this ride was a great metaphor for growing up. You can go faster or slower within limits. You can make decisions for yourself about where to go, but as soon as you steer too far from the planned route, your path is swiftly corrected. And corrected in a manner that isn't the most comfortable. You can decide what you pay attention to and how seriously to take the whole thing, but no matter what, the ride keeps going. And whether you are ready or not, a teenage Kings Island employee will jog up next to you, take the wheel, and give your vehicle to another family just like growing up. While most of that metaphor tracks, the conclusions it leads to are troublesome. If you think of life as automatic, it becomes really hard to care about things. I didn't feel any more proud when I graduated high school than I did when I yielded control of the replica Model T to the teenager doing their summer job. This lack of agency can cause a person to tolerate a lot because they view the path towards change as a passive one. I once had a roommate who didn't take his pizza boxes out to the trash. He stacked them up instead. The stack started on the kitchen counter. When it reached the ceiling, he moved it to the floor, only to reach the ceiling again within a few months. I honestly didn't mind, because I would only be living with this guy for a year. Life would automatically change my circumstances without me doing anything. So I walked past those pizza boxes every day without spending an ounce of mental, emotional, or physical energy on them or on the roommate they belonged to. When I was 15, I spent a summer working at Kings Island. I made minimum wage, which at the time was $5.15 an hour, and I hated most aspects of the job. One afternoon in July, I was taken to a windowless shed and told to inflate basketballs for the three-point challenge game. I was then promptly forgotten about by the slightly older child who was my manager, so I spent the rest of my shift there. It was ridiculously hot and ridiculously boring, and if that had been what I had to do all summer, I would have quit on the spot. But I knew my shift would end, and I knew I'd be doing something different the next day, so I inflated basketballs and sweat through both of the shirts that were part of my required uniform. Summer jobs and college roommates have that going for them. They are by definition temporary, and a human being can tolerate a whole lot if they know it's temporary. The summer after my sophomore year in college, I interviewed with a temp agency and was sent to work in the packaging division of a pharmaceutical manufacturer. 
I was part of a team that manually put blister packs of pills into their cardboard packaging. Or we'd put that cardboard packaging into bigger boxes and onto pallets. We did this for trial runs of drugs mostly, because once a drug was approved, it became more cost effective to pay engineers to design and build a machine to do the packaging. So I worked next to robots and did a job that either wouldn't exist or would be done by a robot within a year. I spent one afternoon holding my gloved index finger out tapping bottles so they wouldn't jam up on a conveyor line. And when my shift was over, I wasn't relieved by a coworker, but by an engineer who came in and installed a modification to the machine. I watched my utility be automated out of existence in real time, right before my eyes. Everything was automatic. I lacked any sense of agency, and that was both depressing and weirdly relieving at the same time. If everything is automatic, I don't have to feel guilty and I'm not responsible for making things better. I spent a summer in that headspace, and it was a bizarre and dehumanizing experience. But it was just for the summer, and I was making 12 bucks an hour. The job was boring as hell, but it had the same perk most terrible jobs have other humans doing the same thing. If we were stationed close enough to each other and far enough from a super noisy machine, we could talk, and over the course of that summer, I got to hear life stories. Life stories from friends with wisdom and humility and a self-awareness that I lacked. This was the first time in my life I had coworkers from different generations. I'd had managers and bosses who were significantly older than me, but never coworkers, and there was a huge difference solidarity. These were the first intergenerational friendships I'd experienced completely outside of authority and power dynamics. It's a lot easier to take advice when you don't feel like you have to take it. It was the advice of my coworkers that helped to shake me out of that everything is automatic headspace. A lot of their advice was wrapped up in self-deprecating humor. They would look at me and say, don't do this, right before launching into a hilarious tale about an awful previous job or romantic endeavor gone wrong. They would look at me when things were particularly uncomfortable or just plain boring and say, stay in school. They believed that I could steer my life, even when I was getting through my day-to-day -day life by doubting that very fact. That August, my girlfriend and I decided to see other people which is a polite way of saying I got dumped. My friends at work consoled me. They told funny stories about exes and one-upped each other in a game of, I was so sad. It started with, I was so sad I didn't go on any dates for a year, and quickly escalated to, I was so sad I didn't get out of bed except to eat and shit, followed by, I was so sad when she left me, I didn't even get out of bed for that. They were living proof that a broken heart isn't fatal. And on top of that, they were wildly optimistic about my romantic future. They were good friends. In September, I went back to school. I lost touch with my coworkers, but I wrote this song in an effort to make sense of what I learned from them and to make myself feel better. I wanted to convince myself I had agency, that I could build the life I wanted and not just wait to see what life I got. I imagined myself the way they saw me and wrote a song where I was the one deciding to end the relationship. It was kind of petty, but a helpful exercise. The story in the verses is a fictionalized combination of several of the people I worked with that summer and myself. The chorus is an optimistic hope that I can have agency in my life, 
and the bridge is the encouraging role friendship plays as we struggle to take any path other than the one of least resistance. There are so many things about our lives that we cannot control, and apathy is a tempting solution to the anxiety that causes. Viewing life like the antique car ride is a bad metaphor, because it leads you to tolerate awful circumstances. I'm not saying the idling engine and the guide rails don't exist. I'm saying if we find solidarity and remind each other of our own agency, then together we can lift the car off the path entirely. Here's Lose Your Voice. It features some guitar and some vocals from Pat Chase, a man who has been a co-worker of mine, a friend of mine, and a longtime source of solidarity and encouragement. I hope you like it. Give up my dreams for this love. 